the leaders are now testing it and laggers don't want to touch it. But we know that the technology is here. It's uh, making us like a, like a superhumans in a way. So I don't believe that it's like uh, replacing us, but it's just like uh, providing so much more capacity for us. And then, you know, we can be more creative and we can deliver more. That's our guest on today's show, Timo Helusuo. Timo is the CEO at European IP firm Colster. This episode forms part of our special series, Live at Inter, where we took the podcast on the road to the Inter annual meeting in Singapore. We set up our podcast studio at the Bill Trader Expo booth, and guests were interviewed by our head of marketing and podcast producer, Wendy Robertson. Welcome to Talking IP, a podcast for IP professionals featuring conversations that take you inside the professional lives and careers of global IP leaders and entrepreneurs. I hope you enjoy the show. Timo Holoswo, welcome to Talking IP. Thank you, Andy. So we're here at the Inter, fabulous Inter conference in Singapore, catching up with friends and colleagues from around the globe. What has been your highlight of the conference so far? Yeah, I mean, this is the first major conference after the pandemic, and sure, it has been like a great to see the partners all over the world. Yeah, it, there's been a really positive energy. You can feel that. I've spoken to some people that were at the last Inter in the US, but it was still a bit of fear. Like people were still wearing masks, and there was a bit more fear. But here, everyone is feeling very free and very very happy to be connecting again like I caught up with a colleague that I hadn't seen and we could you know you actually can hug you know after so many years being locked away at home it feels feels wonderful to be back together again yes that that's true tell me about your organization tell me about Colster so what are you here to promote uh, what do you want to share with the audience yeah I mean the culture has been in the IPR field for a long time next year it will be like a 150th anniversary for the company so uh, the most of our work is in the patent side like 80% and 20% for the trademarks and business legal Uh, originally we were from uh, northern Europe like uh, Finland most of our work is uh, however the European patent and trademarks and uh, including now the UK where we opened office in uh, years ago and of course using then doing then also the Nordic countries like uh, Finland, Sweden and uh, Denmark. The China is also important for us so uh, we have been that kind of market for a long time. Done over 5,000 cases in the Chinese companies and uh, have like a small team in Shenzhen and Shanghai also in China, mainland. Oh. So do you have a particular client success story that you could share to sort of illustrate what your firm does? Well of course there are so many stories and I would say that you know my favorite stories are basically those where it's not just enough of having the basic service or basic drafting a patent and getting the patent but it's those moments when you can see that hey there was really reason why to file a patent a trademark and then making the commercialization and getting the business and licensing the product or then like a winning in the court because of the good quality so then the client is extremely happy that they have like a selected you know the right partner and we are extremely happy because we can see that the work that we have done together has been created something valuable for the client and of course we have learned a lot by ourselves as well yeah that's so important you know to when you actually have to stress test the work that you've done and yes. for it to be uh, held up is uh, that that is real real value for your clients so I, I, I asked this of uh, all of our interviewees. How did you get your start in IP and uh, do you have any career highlights that you'd like to share? I'm not that kind of typical uh, IP industry person starting with the law school. So I have the business background. I used to work for a long time as a management consulting and uh, over 10 years in Nokia. 
my first like a touch for the IP was when I was in charge of uh, running the Engage game console business that we tried in 2005-2006. Uh, and uh, it was the first time when that kind of large company really needed to manage the content that was not ours because it was the games characters and game stories working with the Activision, Nintendo and these companies who own the characters. So how to make that happen internally in our organization teach that hey how you are how you can handle the IP that is not ours and you know having 250,000 retailers all over the world and teach them that hey there's certain needs for the brand owners when you are making your marketing stuff and that so that was that kind of big moment that hey it's really interesting stuff and then you know the rest is history that is really interesting, isn't it? To sort of see a problem that needs to be solved and then, you know, then you're like, oh, there's an actual whole industry that's set up to yeah. solve that problem. Yeah. And I think I'd like to do that. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's the case in, in, in many technology companies also today because they are creating the software and they are like creating their own products and they are not necessarily uh, knowledgeable that what kind of elements they have that are not actually their own, but they have used when creating their own products or services. And, and that's, it's so easy now to discuss with them that, hey guys, have you noticed that you are using somebody else's IP? So you should probably consider your strategy at least when you are like a scaling up your business so that how can you do that in, in a profitable way and in the legal way and avoid all the problems that they may be if you're not taking care of those. So interesting, isn't it? You know, it's a, it's a risk that's sitting there in the business that people just because people are ideas come into their head, they don't know that they've been inspired, necessarily been inspired by something else. Yeah, and especially now when you have a lot of open source products, so it's easy to develop the product and service. But if you have the open source elements, it's basically something that you have not created by yourself. It's a lot of like a teaching for, for the young people and the startups. But also that's kind of a issue for the larger organizations. Yeah, it's very important for startups, but you know, they don't necessarily consider their IP strategy, you know, at that very early stage and it can yeah, it can cause a lot of issues if you haven't worked through some of that stuff before you suddenly start distributing and expanding and marketing your products. Yeah, and, and also like um, acting as a vision angel angel for a few startups and it's really like these guys are so passionate about the service or product they have not even uh, registered their trademark and then they are going to the, fund the seed funding or round A funding and the investors are asking okay how about your IPR strategy what so I mean you know even we are the professionals in the field so there's so much need for the information and we should be pretty much like engaged also to this startup communities and help these uh, growing companies to make the things right. And in the best case is that if we can help them to increase the valuation for the company, they will get the money and capital easier. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you're, you've been around for 150 years. You've got a sort of a large team. You've probably learned a lot about, you know, leadership over those times. What, what are the attributes of a, a great leader in the IP industry from your perspective? two things. The first thing is that you are passionate to understand uh, the strategy for your client. So why, the, why are they asking you certain services? Not just delivering, but you want to understand uh, your client, the next steps that they are going to do, because then you probably can help them already earlier, not just like be reactive for the questions. That's like a one. And the second one is about the people. So it's about the work that the talents are doing. And we have the lack of talents in uh, all continents, in Europe, in US, in Asia, to find out the right people 
keep them, educate them, and create that kind of positive momentum. Even most of the companies are working in the hybrid situation at the moment, from office and from home. So how to keep the, you know, the, that kind of a, a united team and people feeling that they belong into something. So that's important. Yeah, it's a real challenge, I think, because I think the hybrid working arrangements will be part of our future. I think people are starting to return sort of to the office, but it, it's, I think we're changed permanently by the COVID experience. But it, it presents some real challenges that, you know, when you can just walk past someone's desk, you know, those corridor conversations and just that energy of being together as a team, it's, it's hard to foster that when you've got people in remote uh, locations. Yeah, that's true. And especially when you have like a new members for your team, how can they get to know the rest of the team and how to mentor for the younger practitioner to be, you know, uh, more senior. So these are the elements that, you know, even we like the teams and Zooms, they're not necessarily the best tools for everything. No, especially, yeah, they're, they're good for some things, but they're not great for others. And you, when you've got lots of different cultures as well, some people are very comfortable, you know, speaking on those, you know, not everyone's comfortable in every sort of mode of communication and you've got to provide lots of opportunities for everyone in your team to communicate. But yes, no, I think that's, uh, it's, that's uh, really interesting. So from an industry perspective, what are your thoughts on the role of technology when it comes to trademark protection? Even it started, uh, you know, new kind of tools coming before the pandemic. I consider that kind of at the last few years, when we were in uh, home in lockdown, still it was that kind of a moment that it was time before the pandemic and now after pandemic. And what we can see, we can see the technology to really step into the next level. We have the AI. It's not just that kind of a literature or something that you know people don't know what it means but you know the AI is coming to everything chat CTP good example so you know the fastest rollout in the world and now when discussing with people you know almost everybody have used it in one way in another but there's not that kind of a clear strategy yet or approach that okay this is the common way of using it so the leaders are now testing it and laggers don't want to touch it but we know that the technology is here it's uh, making us like a, like a superhumans in a way. So I don't believe that it's like uh, replacing us, but it's just like uh, providing so much more capacity for us. And then, you know, we can be more creative and we can deliver more. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting time. You know, the, um, there's a lot of discussion around ethics when it comes to, you know, artificial intelligence. You know, like, how do you... We've got all this powerful technology, but how do you, you know, harness it for good versus harnessing it for not so good? You know, it's, and, and because it's moving at such lightning speed, that's what's... Yeah, you're right. People are like, I want to leverage this, but I want to do it safely, and I don't want to miss out. I don't want to be left behind because that's the other challenge. You can be sitting there going, I'll wait and see, but then... And your competitors will be, you know, accelerating ahead of you. So it's yeah, it's really interesting. And I could, I've heard people talking about. I know. I mean, you've come from a business, the business side of things. So you're thinking about the operations, you know, of a business and how you know AI can help automate tasks. Like what you know, if you think about task management, but you, you sort of apply AI to some of that stuff. It's really interesting and in separating. You know, what where does the human brain need to manage that task and when can it sort of be automated? It's, it's, I think it's, it's fascinating and it will be the source of a competitive advantage for, for, for certain IP firms that get it right. Yeah, it's like, a, the, like an internal view how we can use it for our purpose to improve our efficiency 
But then there's like a interesting question regarding the AI. It's like a quite common statement that, you know, AI is making people more stupid because you are not thinking anymore. You are just like relying on the answers from uh, GDP or, or, the, or this kind of uh, AI solutions. It could be, and I'm not sure, but it could be that it also creates more work for our industry because there are like a, some people who are not necessarily contacting us for the advice anymore and they're like a trust in the AI solutions. Unfortunately, those answers are not the right ones. So they will be like a different kind of a category of cases that are based on the wrong answers for AI. And then the client needs to ask, okay, could you guys fix this? Because we were doing the right thing, a wrong thing, because we were like a, just like a believing what we were reading. And still it means that you are, they, these are very good tools if you know the content. They can, you know, help you and speed you up. But uh, if you don't the content, you don't have any that kind of a critical thinking that is this right or wrong, and then you can make a big mistakes. And of course, these are like uh, evolving and improving all the time. But still, I mean, they are not re replacing us. This could even like uh, provide more work for us. So on that topic of business operations, one of the things that's really common with IP firms is to have sometimes 90, 120 days um, outstanding debtors. So their debtor books can often be, you know, three to six months in outstanding invoices. What's your perspective on that um, in this current environment? And would it be, do you see benefits for IP firms being able to sort of reduce their debtor days down? Yeah, but let's put it this way. So we have had a time for a few years, especially during the pandemic, like three or four years, when practically the interest rates have been zero or even negative. So they have a huge amount of money on the market and uh, you have got like, you know, the money without any cost. And that has changed. So now we can see the interest rates and inflation going up. And if you have like a lot of money to be collect, you are acting as a bank and there's like a price for that money. And I think that the large players, we really need to think that how we can manage our cash flow in a profitable way, because now we are paying interest for the money because interest rates are like they are. So I guess that this topic will be higher and higher in management agenda to also what to do with the payment terms. Also, we can see that there's a pressure for certain part of the world where this kind of payment behavior has not been necessarily uh, good enough to either making the prepayment or then having another solutions. And like in the digital world, there will be like uh, new solutions for collecting your money faster. Yes, well, solutions like Bill Trader. Yeah, I guess that you have some ideas for that. <laughs> So just to close off, is there anything else that you would like to discuss or share with our audience? Is there anything that you would like to, to talk about? Well, I would come back to those uh, two things that are, I believe that are most important. It, it's really like a, a resonance also for this kind of payment stuff. It's about being passionate to learn of your client's strategies and then to be passionate to really like uh, engage your own people. If you are managing these, those two, the life is much more fun. You have great people around you and your business is better. I couldn't put it better myself. That's a fantastic way to end the conversation. It's been a delight. Thanks for coming on Talking IP. Thanks, Wendy. Well, that's it for our special episode of Talking IP live at Inter. And thanks to our guest, Timo Helusuo. Thank you for joining us. And please reach out to connect with me on LinkedIn, where we'll share our updates on the release of each episode. Talking IP is brought to you by Bill Trader, a fintech solution for IP firms designed to solve the cost and efficiency challenges of making and receiving payments to and from your foreign agents. To learn more, visit BillTrader.com.